Next Chapter Podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This might be one of the saddest songs ever written, without a doubt. Sam Stone came home to his wife and family After serving in the conflict overseas Sam Stone, everybody, by John Prine off his 1971 self-titled album. It's also number 452 out of 500 on the Spotify original the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, you Cadougals? Fleece Army, I love you. Thank you once again for joining me on the only podcast that is going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. I just want to say this. I did the unfortunate thing and read some comments. 99.9% of them are extremely positive. Everybody loves the show and they get what's going on. To the ones that don't, I have never said that I know everything about music. I don't. The point of me doing this podcast is so I discover all of these great albums and artists that everybody assumed that I knew, but I don't. And I want to be like you guys, like the listener, to be able to like just go through this and fucking find beautiful things in this. 99.9% of the research that is done for this show is done by Morty who is great. Follow him at DJ Morty Coyle. All I want is for everybody that listens to this podcast to get a song in their heart. And I know that sounds super lame, but you know how great life is when you have got that song in your soul and you keep listening to it over and over and over again. Man, it's just like since I started doing this, like I'm just happier. And so I just want to say thank you to everybody that's listening because I am enjoying every second of this journey and uh, I couldn't do it without you guys. Also, I couldn't do it without the people in the Fleece Army that are doing the Instagram stories. I know we say it every week, but dude, we're getting the word out and it's fun, grassroots kind of way. So take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers. Throw a hashtag, the 500 podcast. And maybe throw a hashtag Fleece Army. Or just Fleece. I don't care. You guys want to find out a little bit about the record before we get started? Morty, hand me the sheet of paper of things that you wrote. All right. Released in 1971 on Atlantic Records and produced by the legendary Arif Martin, this is the debut album by country folk artist John Prine. Born the third of four children in Maywood, Illinois, right outside of Chicago, Prine learned to play guitar at 14. 
and studied at Chicago's Old Town School of Folk Music. After high school, he worked for the Postal Department for a couple years before being drafted and serving with the U.S. Armed Forces in West Germany. While in the Army, he carried around his guitar with him to entertain his fellow soldiers. I was wondering when we were going to get to some of the music stuff. I thought we were about to just go through all of John Prine's life. It's like, I served in the Armed Forces in West Germany. He had athlete's foot for 90% of it. Then he moved to Brooklyn and opened up an ice cream parlor. He returned to Chicago in the late 60s and became a mailman, although singing and songwriting in the folk scene were still his hobby. Prime was discovered in Chicago in early 1970 by actor and musician Chris Christofferson and signed by Atlantic Records co-founder Jerry Wexler after being brought up to play a few original songs during Christofferson's show at the New York's Bitter End. Almost overnight, he went from still finding his voice while playing his song solo to being in a Memphis recording studio backed by Elvis Presley's rhythm section. Fuck, that is cool, man. That just shows you anywhere. Just guys, if you're out there and you're trying to make something of yourself, just do it and do it the best that you can do it when and wherever you do it because you never know who's in the audience watching you. The resulting album was received as a revelation and has since become a recorded collection of standards. With a flair for lyrical depth, emotion, and wit, Prine was a promising example of the decade's new genre, the singer-songwriter. In another era, his Bob Dylan-esque nasally voice might have kept him in the shadows as a respected and covered songwriter, but in the early 70s, there was a crop of artists who were also given the opportunities to showcase their own interpretations of their material. Even still, songs from this album have been covered with success by Johnny Cash, Bonnie Raitt, John Denver, Bette Midler, and the Everly Brothers, just to name a few. As Chris Christofferson awe-inspiringly described John in this album's liner notes, he's 24 years old and writes like he's 220. Now, almost 50 years later, John Prine was recently called the Mark Twain of American songwriting by Rolling Stone magazine. You know who's the Mark Twain of conspiracy theories? My guest today, one of the funniest people I have ever had the opportunity to sit down and talk to and call a friend. I think we're friends. I love this guy. You love him. The one and only Tim Dillon. Tim was named one of 10 comics you need to know by Rolling Stone magazine. He has an incredible podcast, The Tim Dillon Show. Also, maybe you saw his 15-minute special on Netflix or his half hour on Comedy Central. Tim knows John Prine. And that's why this episode was one of my favorites. Don't forget to rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and email the podcast at 500 podcast at gmail.com for all things five honey go to our website the 500 podcast.com well guys nothing left to say but with number 452 out of 500 with John Prine John Prine Tim Dillon, Tim Dillon, Tim Dillon, Tim 
Tim Dillon, Dillon, and Tim Dillon, 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 Dillon. Beautiful. Thank you, buddy. I mean, I was in the moment. <laughs> all right, so, so just just to cut all the mustard, we I wanted you on for a while. We were at the comedy store, and I was like, look at the list. Pick an album. I don't care what it is. You pick John Prine. Why did you pick this record? I love the record. I love John Prine, the the performer, the musician, the writer, the poet, really. But I love the actual album, and I think it it has probably still his strongest collection of songs and the best argument for why he is on the level of Bob Dylan, if not to some people, you know, surpasses Dylan in terms of a folk icon legend. You know, Mark Twain with a guitar type of guy. That's what I. That's what I've heard. I read that. That's what people have said about him. Yeah, I had never heard of him. I, mean, I literally, when you picked him out, that was the first time I might have ever heard the name John Prine. Right. Okay. I mean that. I mean, <laughs> I don't. You know, <laughs> I'm okay. not proud of it. It just surprises me only because I have a high opinion of you. Yeah, I know. I've let a lot of people down, dude. Yeah. I, let, I can sing all the words of Bootylicious by Destiny's Child, yeah. but not one John Prine song. John Prine <laughs> is actually occupies this very interesting space where a lot of people that you would think would know who he is don't know who John Prine is, or they're not familiar with him, or they know the name, but they don't know the work, or they know the work and not the name. They're yeah. like, oh, I love that song. I love Sam Stone, or I love this, but I don't know the guy who did it. And I loved him, and my dad was a musician, and like kind of like a folk singer, guy with a guitar type of thing, played in a band, uh, you know, was the lead singer of a band, uh, played out in bars and stuff for my entire life in the weekends when I was a young kid. Uh, so he listened to a lot of this type of stuff, and he loved uh, John Prime. So this was just in your household growing up from day one. I I'm trying to remember... Pinpoint it, Tim. Pinpoint it. Take us back. Take us there. So my dad was... Is John Prine. Is John Prine. (laughs) Uh, My dad was going through a divorce in 2000... No, in 1999, right? Good year, good year. Limp Biscuits, all the rage. 98, 99. (laughs) He wanted the nookie. He's going through a divorce with my mom. He's listening to a lot of dark, depressing music. Guys like James McMurtry. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's Larry McMurtry, who's like the poet laureate of Texas. Like he's written all these like Streets of Laredo, Lonesome Dove. Oh, I know uh, that. In ter- yeah. terms of endearment, the Evening Star. His son James McMurtry, great singer songwriter in Texas. My dad's listening to people like him, people like John Gawka. Again, another kind of obscure folk. John Hyatt. A guy who wrote "Have a Little Faith in Me." All named John. Everybody. Yeah, all named John. Everybody if your name's named John, John. You're finger picking a guitar. Yeah, and and <laughs> and people like Lucinda Williams and people, her. you know. So all of that, thank God, right? Um, <laughs> we finally got to someone that he knows. It's good. We're gonna find out he's like kind of a pop guy. He's more of a poppy guy, Josh. He's see, you know, he presents, you know, that he's not. But I think he's a little more mainstream than he wants us to think, which is fine. Uh, so in that in that group of artists was John Prine. Yeah. And we he would drive around. So when I drove around with him, he'd be listening to this dark, depressing shit. So that's when I discovered John Prine. But also people like Ani DeFranco, who's, uh, you know. I know Ani, yeah. yeah I know people Ani. like Dar Williams, you know. But I really got into that type of music. And, and John Prine stood apart as, like, the guy who seemed to be the 
along with people like Dylan and then, of course, you know, a lot of country stuff and whatever um, seem to be like one of the the Lenny Bruce, the way that Lenny Bruce. I see that. No, I see that compared to from what I know. And I'm not going to lie. I, I, of course, I I know who Dylan is. I know his hits, but I've never really dived. Who are you a fan of? Like Doja Cat? Like who would be? (laughs) Motherfucker, dude. (laughs) No, I mean, I listen. Who gets you going? No, it's, I mean, like, it's, it's, but this is the thing is that I, I grew up, you know, it was hair metal, then it was grunge, and then it was like Brit pop and the Beatles and some of the classics. But it's, it's just like, I, there's so many bands that I never listened to a full record. Of course. I can tell you play, you put on a Bob Dylan song, I'll go, oh, I know that's Bob Dylan. I might never heard the song, but I know his voice. Right. But I know all of his hits. I just don't One know. One thing I the love about John cuts. Prine is he's never done a car commercial. No, God, you know, he never did a Dodge commercial like Dylan or Well, Price, I think I forget. For me, as the first time putting this record on and listening to it, it was as it started, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna really I I like I don't know if I'm gonna love it, but I think I'll get it. But literally by by like once I got deeper into the record, I was like, Oh, this is this is fucking genius. Yeah. I was like, these some of these songs are some of the saddest songs I've ever heard. Right. And then some of the, you know, the fun ones are like these upbeat, like just catchy, like pop like I mean, folk pop songs. Yeah. I well, mean I, I, what I love about it too is it's it's Americana. Yes. Right. So if if, if I, I like I'm interested in history. And I mean, I don't say that in like a cunty way because it's like I'm not a guy that dedicates an inordinate amount of my time to fucking learning about history. I read books and things like that. Yeah. But like one of the ways I think that's like an underrated way of kind of connecting with history is music. I really believe that. And John Prine, when he's writing about Vietnam, when he's writing about, you know, what what. uh, you know, in the song Paradise, what happens you know, to towns that were, you know, coal miners and stuff like that. You know, it's this real evocative portrait of Americana in a very specific time, you know? Yeah. And it has this self-awareness. Like, he's this country guy who's, you know, stylistically, like you said, very similar to a million other folk singers of the day, but he's writing songs like Your American Flag Won't Get You Into Heaven. You know, so he's going to these places that a lot of people that had a similar aesthetic and a similar sound weren't going, you know, and what it it was probably one of the reasons why he wasn't as as palatable. And I think he did less to make it palatable, maybe than some other people. I think I think there's like there's like Dylan guys and then there's Prine guys. There's people that are like Bob Dylan and there's people like John Prine and I think Dylan just had more of a mainstream appeal. Sure. Than John Prime. You know what's funny is as after sitting and talking to you and knowing you and it, it all makes sense why you picked this because yeah. you have this dark yes. edge to it and yeah. I can see why you dig this. You yeah. know, you're you're a storyteller, you're you're yeah. into this, you're into that, but it's like it just fits in the mold. And that's so funny. It took this moment to realize it. Yeah. As soon as I was talking to you and hearing how well you fucking get it. All right, yeah. Let's dive into the record. Okay? Let's do it. So it opens up with a legal smile. Peter, uh, play about thirty-six seconds into it. And you may see me tonight with an illegal smile. It don't cost very much, but it lasts a long while. Once this song came on, I realized why I had never heard of John Prine because this is what I like to call Muppet music, where it sounds right. like a frog is on a lily pad with a guitar. Yes. Maybe Fozzie's over yes. there. Uh, good song. Right. 
Didn't get me right away. Right. Uh, but it, I think it kind of sets up the rest of the album. Yeah. This is not my favorite song he does. Sure. It grows on you. It did. It's it, uh, there, there are certain songs, depending on where you listen to them, that is actually, and I was an alcoholic for many years, that's a 3 a.m. song in a bar Yeah, when you're just there. Fucking there, You're dude. just right there, <laughs> and you got two cigarettes left, and you got to make one of them matter. You're arguing with some girl named Tina. Yeah, like. yeah. Somebody's trying to get a pool game going. Everyone's like, shut up, Joan. <laughs> I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Uh, yeah, so that that's where that is for me. Yeah. It, it, but if you listen to it, it's like all of these songs, to me, have the quality of being some kind of funeral dirge. Sure. That's the way I listen to his stuff. I'm like, there's kind of, in all of these songs, even the happy ones, sadness is near. You can always go and find it. No, I believe you know? that. So it's assumed that this is about getting high, and there are enough signs pointing to that. However, according to Prine, Illegal Smile was not about smoking dope. It was more about how ever since I was a child, I had this view of the world where I can find myself smiling at stuff nobody else was smiling at. But it was such a good anthem for dope smokers that I didn't want to stop every time I played it and make it. Right. Disclaimer. What's the other song that's a great example of that? Is it? Isn't it like U two uh, or or Sting? Sting did that song. Uh, I'll be watching you. Oh no! Uh, every every breath I take. Right. Which and is, isn't which that about is, like it's it's about a guy with sinister intent? That, right. And it's played at fucking right. weddings. Yeah. And they every breath I I'll be yeah, watching dude. you is about a stalker. Yeah. And everybody thinks it's great. Yeah. You know because before me too you could show a woman. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, how do you escape reality? Um, great question. Stand up comedy. Yeah. Because to me. Getting in front of a room of 300 people and making them laugh is as is, 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 is much a break from reality as you can get. It's a break for you, and if you do it well, it's a break for them. Yeah. Because you're laughing, and you're... you're, you're, you're I, I forget who said it. Someone 
whether it was religious or whatever, that laughing, laughing brings you close to God or it brings you close, like the act of that or doing it or trying to do it, like to me is the only break that I have left because I'm sober eight years so I can't get fucked up. Yeah. So, and I, I think the illegal smile, and I read that too, that it wasn't about dope. I liken that to like people that appreciate maybe dark humor. That's a good entree into what the album's going to be. Completely. And yeah. then it goes into Spanish Pipe Dream. Yeah. Now, this is a story of a soldier who we assume is going to Montreal to avoid the war and a topless dancer he meets on the way who has some communal advice for him. Peter, play 23 seconds in. Blow up your TV. Throw away your paper. Go to the country. Build you a home. Listen to the twang in the back, and he's going, blow up your TV, throw away your papers, yeah. leave the country. It's such That's a- you. Mind, that is fucking you. That is not only 100% is it, you. Not only am I thinking about that, but the idea is like, <laughs> it's set to this couldn't be more American twang that you would imagine he'd be like, we're going to fight for Jesus. Yeah. We're going to- And it's the total opposite, like the lyrics- Versus the way it's presented to me has always been great. Yeah, like it 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 doesn't feel like it, it, it it's a guy telling you to fucking abandon your country and fuck off. But that's exactly what he's saying. Oh, this is the moment where I said, okay, I I think I'm gonna like this record. Yeah, because that that chorus is so catchy. Uh, so in the late '60s and early '70s, a lot of people were dropping out of society to get back to a more natural way of life. Um. Which makes that, me that time is the closest. You know, we talk a lot about you know revolution. You know, everybody's on Twitter now. Hashtag resist and you know, okay. The closest we actually got to that was the sixties and seventies. People were living in communes. There were genuine anarchist movements. I mean, it was wild. Yeah. I mean, now how much of that would have ever been sustainable? Of course, you know, probably not much of it. But you want to talk about the system kind of really at a breaking point? I don't think the system now is nearly. Near the point that it was. Oh then. no! My my dad said. Yeah. My dad said back in the you know the early seventies. He was like, I, we literally thought there was going to be a revolution. Right. But also, but also, most of that is because they didn't have the access to the information. So like we do now, where it's like we we can see we can talk to these people that we hate via Facebook or whatever form of social media. We can you know get in touch with these people, but at the same time, it's like eh, I still don't think we're ever going to have a re like Trump just said we're going to have a civil war if he. Gets Gets impeached, and I'm no, like, no, there, there, there's no war, but uh, I, I would say that back then, music came from a, a genuine place of like you know turmoil and and genuine, uh, you know, unrest and people like right now it feels like a lot of that seems to be manufactured. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, completely. Like it doesn't seem to be like when you you hear the prime stuff, and you hear other stuff in that, you know. In that genre, it feels very real. You had a war. You had your friends being killed. Your your brothers being killed. Uh, you had civil rights going on. You had the beginning of gay rights, women's rights. You had, you know, a lot. You had the Kent State and the shooting and people. You know, you had, you had real world leaders being assassinated. You had world leaders being assassinated all the fucking time. It was wild. You had the CIA running around doing crazy experiments and all kinds of shit, overthrowing yeah. governments, which are still doing, but like. You know, you had this really wild time when this music was, was being created, and guys like John Prine uh, kind of captured that time maybe better than a lot of other people. Like, lyrically, 100% better than... I think it actually 
the music stands out because, you know, musically it's whatever. It's whatever. It's, and it's, that's it's a, me, this is a catchy song yeah. that the mamas and the papas or fucking Joni Mitchell or whoever yeah. could have sang. Uh, for you, though, yeah. what technology would you happily blow up to make your life more simple? To simplify my life, what do I not need? Well, the only technology that would ever simplify is the one that we can't live without. And I mean, it's, it's the phone. phone. Yeah. I mean, it's never going away. Uh, you, TV doesn't matter. No one cares. Nobody watches it. No, you know, it used to be a thing. Like, you, you know, you used to, like in the 90s, people would be like, why are you fat? It's because you're sitting in front of the TV. Yeah. Why are the kids stupid? Eight hours in front of that TV. Yeah. Or, you know, why are we, you know, my husband's sitting in front of the TV. I can't get him to do anything. Now that's not nearly the issue. People are on their phone all the time, and when you when you when you get rid of your phone, you you're you're out. You're just not even on the grid, and you can, you know it's everything you know. But I think that's the only thing that we, I always flirt with the idea of that. But I also flirt with the idea of like living in a small mountain town. Yeah, or, you know, I, I mean, I none of it's gonna, that, I don't think, listen, gonna I'm not saying happen. that wouldn't make you happy, but I, I just think that you have you have something to say and to not be yeah, able I mean, to, I'm not to going, not be able to yeah. pontificate to a group of people. I'm I think you fucking anywhere. kill yourself. I always f- full of shit. Talk about how I'm going to move here and there. It's never going to happen. Do you think? Do you think that that the cell phones are the dumbing down of America and the world? They 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 are certainly a factor. Um, I think. You know, Carlin said it when he said everybody has a cell phone that makes pancakes now. Um, What I think social media has allowed people to do is believe that they uh, are doing something when they're not. So when they're tweeting or when they're, you know, hashtag resist, like they they truly believe that they're making a difference, that they're making a difference or changing something. They are adopting the iconography of like protest Good movements in the word, past. Dude. Yeah, I know. Uh, what fuck I'm doing. yeah, dude. Um, but none of them are fucking doing anything, and it's just it's the new Roman Colosseum, and that's been said a million times. But people just like to see each other get torn apart. Oh yeah. But if you look at like, are we really building things with it? Are we, like yeah, of course. There's a lot of great positive advancements that have helped us, but. I mean, we're no closer to solving any of the major problems than we were before we had any of this. And I'm talking about homelessness, you know, any of world that hunger, you know, income inequality, getting people health care, uh, you know, instability all over the world, war, uh, genocide, famine, like none of it is is been made market. I mean, it's, it's getting better in the developing world. But how much of that has to do with technology? I don't know. Versus how much of it has to do with just, you know, you have now, um, you have uh, countries that have been at war for hundreds of years that are now starting to kind of chill where it's not as bad and they're, you know, they're advancing and they're you're getting out of the third world. Some of that certainly is technology. But in developed countries, what is it doing? Like in the developing world, what is Facebook doing? Is Facebook helping anybody? Is hearing what your aunt no, has to gonna, say about Donald say, Trump. I was going to say, my mom is single-handedly trying to start the revolution yeah. to get rid of Trump on Dude, Facebook. Dude, it gives boomers a and place like, to yell. And like, it's a place for my mom to say, yeah. I hate Trump, and also I had lamb shanks for dinner. Like yeah. That is what Facebook has become. Yeah, I mean, you know, the only technology that really helps is guns and bombs. <laughs> And you I mean, quote you're me not wrong. That. I mean, I hate to say it, but and if you don't believe that, ask our government to give up all of that <laughs> yeah, right. and keep their phones. <laughs> all right, let's move on. All right, all right. I got. I just want to say, I love you so much. Well, I I, love I'm being so here. happy that you're doing Thank this. You. 
Um, all right. Hello in there. Peter, play yeah. the intro. All right, so once I started hearing that finger picking, I knew this was going to be a sad ass song, dude. Finger picking is like the music of the sad, like the finger picking of the guitar. And it takes this abnormally long time for the lyrics to kick in because I feel like uh, he's too busy crying and pissing himself right. because he he knows what he's about to what say. What did you think of this? Well, I think the song it I wrote it tore my heart out. Yeah. This is as poignant a song as I've ever heard. Right, it's so, big. That's big. That, You're a music I, it, guy. But, That's this, big. but this is well, I mean, I'm pop according right. to you. So well, I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Insync yeah. never wrote anything. Right, this it's true. Good. All right, so when I when I went deeper into what this is. Uh, it's about an old couple who have had a whole life together and are now two lonely souls who are aching for interaction with the vibrant world. It's also about how society can look at old people as obsolete without ever considering that to get there, they pass through all the other stages of life. Yeah. I think about it. I, this is one of my favorite songs he's done. Yeah. And... What I love about it is, like, in America, it's very common to put old people in old-age homes or put them into hospitals or whatever, you know, facilities. Um, all, all over the world, we're looked at, like, the, as, as, as monsters for doing that, especially in Asian cultures. They're like, this doesn't, we don't do this, you know? We don't kick our fam. Like, they come live with us. They, they spend their, it, it, to me, is about the, you know, what, you know, if you look at like you go to other places, other parts of the world, one family will live in one house. The grandparents live in the house forever. Um, the, the maybe the parents inherit the house from the grandparents. And they move into a section of the house. But this link between you know the, the old wise people uh, that raised you and you isn't severed. In America, we really do just kick these people yeah, we do. into the street. Like, we don't care about elderly people unless they have lots and lots of money. You know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's sad. So this song is just about all those old people that you see out in your daily life that aren't, that just would benefit from you saying hello. Yeah. Or smiling or waving or just being, I'm almost crying talking about it. I know. Just being a, a human fucking being and thinking like these are human beings. These are old people, but they're people. So, as John said, I've always had an affinity for old people. I used to help a buddy with his newspaper out and I delivered to a Baptist old people's home where we'd have to go room to room. Oh, God, can you imagine that? Yeah. Uh, and some of the patients would kind of pretend that you were a grandchild or a nephew that, oh, my God, this is breaking my heart just reading this, that you were a grandchild or nephew that had come to visit instead of the guy uh, delivering papers. And my grandfather used to, his friend Walter was an older man, and he used to, and you'd notice this old guy at church would just take him to Burger King after church and they would get coffee, you know, Burger King and just fuck around. Like, it's a sad song. It's a, you know, I don't, I think it really like challenges you more than a lot of songs on the record because you can do something 
Oh yeah, you about, can, you can I actually mean, do something here. Whereas, like, okay, Vietnam or you know the military industrial complex. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's a government. Yeah, but like you see an old person, be nice. No, I agree. I completely agree. Go and visit people. Go talk to them once a week. I don't have the time, but I wish other people <laughs> would do. I got a career here, yeah, you I know? know, but I hope other people would do that. You know. All right. This goes into Sam Stone. This is the masterpiece. This is a masterpiece. This is a masterpiece. So uh, originally titled. Great Society Conflict Veterans Blues, uh, not nearly as catchy. Uh, this is the sad story. I don't even feel it. No, I had to say that of a veteran who returns from a war overseas to see his family with a purple heart and a serious drug addiction that gets progressively worse. This is the serious Mona Lisa of his career. It's the greatest song he's ever written. It's one of the best songs that's ever been written. Um, I don't think. I think in any top list of songs you're gonna this this should be on there. this should be on there especially if you get if you break it down by genre you know well i think i think by saying uh, the names everybody yeah. that 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 dealt with the vietnam war this is whether whether they the whether, whether his, yeah but whether yeah. whether in the war fighting or back home dealing with uh, uh like a soldier that came yeah. back and has ptsd i mean they all know Sam dude, Stone. Just, they just, all know this guy. there's a hole in daddy's arm yeah. where all the money goes i mean that is you yeah, know, play, 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 yeah. play that little clip so we can hear him sing that. There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes. Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose. I mean, yeah, he's, it's 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 heart wrenching. Yet also one of the most beautiful lines yeah. I might have ever heard. There's a hole in Daddy's arm where all the money goes. Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose. How would they How would they sing that version now with the opiate epidemic? It would be like it would be like Daddy's covered in fentanyl patches right. of love. <laughs> fentanyl patches of love. Now, now I know you're sober and yeah. you suffered from addiction. Yeah. Uh, so this is a multi multi part question. Yeah. What was your drug of choice? Ooh, it changed. In the beginning, it was weed. Then it was coke. Then at the end, it was booze. I'd given up everything but but, but vodka and gin. Yeah. So you know, gin martinis or or or, or kettle on the rocks, you know, or Grey Goose on the rocks, whatever. You're, you're um, like drinking like a fucking like like seventy year old man. And how old were you at this well, time? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I drank I gin was, off the jump too, so I can't. Yeah, no, I was I was in my early twenties, late twenties. Yeah, 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 hundred percent, early twenties to mid twenties. Then I gave up when I was twenty five. So what was it that got you to kick? What was your what was your moment? I was like a juror on a murder trial, and uh, literally, and it was crazy, and it was murder and torture, and I and I was sitting there. And I was there for two weeks, and then uh, it was the whole life change. Like I, 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 uh, I stopped drinking. I came out of the closet, and I started doing comedy in the same uh, month, right after wow. the trial. So that was wild. That was a really impactful experience. So that was a thing where I was like, it had been leading up to it, but when you're on a murder trial, and every day they just talk about mortality, mortality, life, death, life, death. You start to go, uh, and then also the 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 DA, the ADA on the case was amazing, and I was like, this bitch is so good at what she does for a living that she's meant to do it. I mean, if those things exist, you know, you want to talk about, you know, she's she is she's fucking in the pocket. I need to do something I'm meant to do. I want to be funny. I don't want to sell mortgages. So, that's what you were yeah. doing before. So that. yeah, 
So then, then that's when I, you know, started comedy. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! Oh, no. The wrath of the buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. What? See, not like the like. I mean, I'm not gonna say that's not a bottom, right? But it's like, I mean, there's like, there's there's people with like way way it's like they, it's like fucking i was like i was homeless and i was about to be this and then i and every then bottom I has it. a basement right yeah that so was every bottom basement. has a basement was that so, trial was that trial and it was like i owned a house i couldn't afford i bought a house with a subprime mortgage 22 uh a lot of crazy shit was going on but who knows if i didn't turn it around where it would have gone do you think you'd still be using if you, we never went in that trial? I don't know. I, you know, it might have, it might have happened a year later. I might. You were, who knows? You, you, yeah. you were already at a point where you were starting to get. It was starting to get annoying, and it's like it was like starting to get annoying, uh, yeah. and I had to change. Yeah. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. Best thing ever happened to me to get me sober was I relapsed. We're getting ready to shoot my television show in a month, and I'm at the comedy store, and I'm, I've just gone through detox from yeah. opiates. And so I'm pale and I look terrible and Sam Tripoli sees me and he goes, you relapsed again, didn't you? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, when are you going to stop? And I go, probably when I die because that's the way it's going. Yeah. And then he goes, or you're going to be that 50-year-old comic that's still hanging out here at the comedy store that almost had a TV show. And then I looked over and I saw that guy and I was like, fuck, dude. Right. That was it. That was that was right. the fucking shock. So I can imagine hearing just hearing just death, 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 yeah. just in front of you for fucking how long? And then was Sam was like, "Hillary Clinton's a lizard." You're like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, good. All right. Well, back to our regularly scheduled programming." All uh, right, that goes into Paradise. Uh, play uh, the chorus from Paradise. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River, where Paradise lay? So both of Brian's parents were from Western Kentucky, and his father was a coal miner before the introduction of industrial strip mining tore apart the countryside. Uh, a song of remembrance and loss, Paradise was an idyllic town in Kentucky where Prine would spend his summers with his relatives when he was a kid. Uh, I, I think the song is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, not the best song on the record, but no. just that harmony and that chorus is well, great, so good. It's a great song, and it's about his life. It's about yeah. his life. Yeah, it's, a lot it's, it's of great, his coal miner's daughter. A lot of great songs are on that album are about other people's lives. It's about his, and he's talking about, you know, Daddy, take me down to where paradise. He remembers as a kid, it's paradise. And then they're like, well, Mr. Peabody's coal train is long pulled away. <laughs> yeah. Things are different. You could write it today. Daddy, won't you take me down back to Detroit? Remember the GM plan and all the cars were made, you know? Yeah. It's like, sorry, son, but you're too late in asking. The city has fallen and there's wild bears in the street. So, I mean, it's, you all know. Right. All right. So, this next one is the only song that I knew 
before I had heard this record. Interesting. So uh, go ahead and play uh, 137, Peter. Pretty good. Not bad. She can't complain. Because actually, all them dogs are just about the same. So I had no idea, like I said, who John Prine was. And I was like, I was on Spotify right. uh, and listening. I, they have like new music or like what you might like type stuff, recommendations. And then this song came on. I heard it and I was like, I don't know who the fuck this guy is, but I love this song. And I just saved it. And uh, I, I think it's fantastic. I think this is probably the closest to a rock and roll song yeah. that's on the record. Yes. The lyrics, the organ, that there's a badass guitar solo in it. Yeah. Uh, just a great song. Uh, it starts off with a superficial conversation with an old buddy and shows how when things are okay, there's not much to say. Then he sleeps with a perfect woman only to feel the same way. The third verse seemed to go off the rails when he mentions Molly getting raped by a dog. I didn't get that, but okay. Uh, until I found out Molly was a Labrador that had mixed puppies. Then the last verse with all the religious figures hanging out made me think that this whole song was sort of about mixed blessings. Like, it's better to be a bit bored in a pretty good life than, than rather deal with the severities that can happen. What do you think? I, I think you said it well, where it's like, what exactly, you know, is the trade-off between excitement and, you know, the, the, the potential dangers that that could bring, you know? Like, it's, you know... Pretty good, can't complain. I think it also talks about a certain type of person that's out there that their de facto answer, whether things are good or not, is pretty good, can't complain. I mean, you, nobody wants you to say, yeah. hey, man, how you doing? Oh, my there's God. A certain type I got of a guy. crippling, there's crippling a certain Xanax type of guy. addiction. There's a certain type of guy that you'll meet in a bar, and this makes me think of that guy. And it's pretty good, can't complain. It's a simple guy. It's a guy that's happy. He's got a beer in his hand. He's not thinking five minutes ahead. And that's the guy that I think about. All right. Your flag decal won't get you into heaven anymore. Peter, yeah. play the chorus real quick. But your flag decal won't get you into heaven anymore. They're already overcrowded from your dirty this is a humorous anti-war, anti-jingoism yes. protest song. It's like funny though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, but it's about a guy that puts American flag stickers everywhere to sway St. Peter. Eventually, he has the great idea to cover up his car, including the windshield. And after the inevitable crash that kills him, he gets to meet St. Peter, who informs him that there's no more room in heaven because all the victims from Vietnam and Jesus's disapproval of killing in the name of America if there was ever a song that was more relevant yeah. today right. like you were saying the fucking Sam Stone yeah. this is about as relevant uh, to what's going on now I mean you might as well call this song your red cap won't get you into heaven anymore yeah absolutely you know uh, with now, ironically John Prine loves Trump really and it, no of course not okay. I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> you know so much I was like I believed it well, Prime is a MAGA guy. <laughs> so with the political climate being what it is today, what are your thoughts on the division in our country? Is this a music podcast? No. Uh, <laughs> Take us there, bro. There is no division. I mean, there, there is a very uh, d division. There's a division in our country between the powerful and the powerless. The powerless is all of us. The powerful own all 
the resources. They back all the politicians. They make all the deals. They decide who we go to war with. They set interest rates. They own the corporations. They decide. And we're all on Twitter and fighting with each other. So the idea that there's any real conflict between these morons beating each other up in Portland or your Aunt Donna and your Aunt uh, Kathleen who are fighting because (laughs) one loves Trump and one hates him, it's not as nearly as much of a conflict as the idea that you have a small group of oligarchs who run the media, they run the financial system, they run tech, and they they are fusing all of those things together to make the corporate state backed by the U.S. military, which is the most powerful force that has ever existed on planet Earth, almost, you know, more so than the Holy Roman Empire with its ability of surveillance and shit like that. So the the thoughts about the divide, it's the wrong divide. It's us versus them. And the political divide to me is, uh, you know, there's some hot button social issues, but it's largely been, it's largely a manufacturing thing of the people in power to keep people at each other's throats and, and, and divide each other. But you have a lot more in common with the person you might disagree with about abortion or guns than you're ever going to have with the guy that has a billion dollars in the bank and a ton of offshore accounts yeah. and a million companies to run his money through that barely exist. And, you know, and th- that's the thing. There's a class of people who are, I, they're supranational which means they may live in London or live in America, but they really, the global financial system is their only country. And they take as much money out as they can. And there are, you know, there are uh, ways that they can subvert the democratic process wherever they go. And they try to stack the odds in their favor. That's who the real divide is by. Wow. I, I that's the answer. Uh, it's a good one. I'm not going to lie. Answer. That was the perfect answer. That's you know? exactly. That's why I got excited. Well, I, you, I'm sure was, you have a lot of retards on this show <laughs> that'll give you like a lot of answers about like, you know, it's just about fear of the other. Yeah. We've always been racist. We've always been dumb. We've yes, always hated I, each I other. I couldn't agree with you more. But you want to talk about the real fucking divide. It's the fact that pretty soon people are going to own water. Fuckers. Yeah. So let's really talk about the divide. Yeah. You know, I do appreciate the Evian, though. I like it because it has a mineral aftertaste. <laughs> All right. That goes into Far From Me. Uh, it's a good song. The sad waltz, you know, over steel pedal guitar uh, and about the disintegration of a relationship. Um, this is a good song. Not not probably my not my favorite on the record. It's just, yeah. It's one that I started skipping over as we went. But then... We get to probably one of the most iconic songs, in my opinion, uh, ever written. Because I thought ever written. But here's the funny thing: I thought Bonnie Raitt did this song. Andrew, you thought because, Bonnie Raitt wrote well, this? Not yes, yes, I did. <laughs> angel from Montgomery, incredible. Play the chorus, Peter. Make me. I mean, that's it's just beautiful. To I, believe in this living is just a hard way to go. It's so good. Wow. To me, this kind of sounded uh, like like uh, the Black Crows. So I think the Black Crows definitely were fans yeah. of this. Because this has that, like, she talks to I, angels or I, some you shit. You know, it's everything. Every line is a play. Yeah. How can a person go to work in the morning, come home in the evening, not a damn thing to say? You see that couple at the table. I am an old woman. So is my mother. My child is another child's grown old. You see them, you know? Uh, every single coupling of words here is a fucking play. Like, you see it on a stage. You see it being acted out. And, you know, 
make me a uh, you know make me a poster of an old rodeo. Make me a you know you could you can imagine the people that are nostalgic for that type of shit. Sure, you can imagine, and that you know just give me one thing that I can hold on to to believe in this. And and you see like it's modernity change things that are changing people being afraid living in fear uh all of that stuff they're in montgomery uh alabama i believe montgomery alabama yeah they're you know looking at the world passing them by and they just want to somehow dig in and hold on to something that makes sense to them you know uh this is the exact moment i i realized that you uh, are the comedy karl marx like you well you used oh, iconography you said I'll take it. modernity i'm not a marxist are, are, are you but you know start what talking about the fucking proletariat next the more i drive around beverly hills <laughs> the more i want to see a few fires get lit i'm not a marxist but i'll, I'll tell you right now um Marx had very, very meaningful things oh, to say. Oh, I, I think so. Dude, yeah. one of my favorite books is The Manifesto. I, yeah. Uh, so after a friend of Prime's heard Hello in there, he suggested John write another song about old people. Although Prime felt he'd already dealt with the subject, he was intrigued by the idea of a song about middle-aged women who feels older than she is. He recalled, I had this really vivid picture of this woman standing over the dishwasher with soap in her hands. She wanted to get out of her house and her marriage and everything. She just wanted an angel to come take her away from all of this. There's a great, there's a song by Mary Chapin Carpenter that this reminds me of who uh, is called uh, He Thinks He'll Keep Her. And she goes, uh, everything runs right on time, the safest place you'll ever find. Uh, God forbid you change your mind. And it's about this woman who's stuck. You know, she does the laundry, she, you know, and, and the lyrics of the song are, are like, you know, she does the dishes, she changes, you know, when she was 21, 25, she had baby number three or whatever it is. And you just feel that you feel uh, that she's in quicksand. You feel that she's stuck and she's talking about this domestic hell that she's kind of in. And that to me, there's a similarity to this song where you see the house, you see the woman oh, in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So. Was there ever a point in your life that you wanted an angel to come rescue you? All, every, now. I, I, knew every, that, I knew that that's what the answer was going to be. As I, every, where's as my was agent? Com, as, um, as that was coming out of, no, of no, my mouth, I, I was like, he's going to say Listen, no. when I was drunk, when I was in the mortgage business, when I was in the closet, when I was coked out, when I was doing all this stuff, I needed an angel to come save me, you know? That, or I, I think we all needed one, you know? And your angel came in an assistant DA. Well, you know, p- perhaps, and then eventually, uh, somebody who said you should do comedy, and then then Dan St. Germain, yeah, <laughs> takes yeah, you out of the and road. then Dan St. Germain, and then Joe Rogan. Yeah. It's been a very interesting group of angels. <laughs> so I mentioned Bonnie Raitt uh, right off the jump because I thought uh, she had written this, but uh, John Denver covered this, Carly Simon covered this, yeah, uh, Bonnie Raitt. Uh, probably the most popular version. Right, Bonnie's great. She is great. We Bonnie did, is great. We did one of her records. We did her second record, uh, Give It Up. Are uh, you doing Doja Cat? No. She keeps it juicy, <laughs> juicy. She eats that lunch. <laughs> he liked that booty, booty. He liked it plump. Continue, I apologize. So she made this song so popular that, like me, uh, so many people thought that she wrote it, and it's still also her most requested song. All right. Uh, Quiet Man. Yeah. Uh, this to me sounded exactly like a Bob Dylan song. Yes. Um, it's it's something that plods ahead like the Quiet Man defiantly walking barefoot down the empty highway. Peter, play minute 37. You got news for me. I got nothing for you. Don't pin your blues on me. 
some lines that stuck out to me. Last Monday night, I saw a fight between Wednesday and Thursday over Saturday night. I just that's that's as good as anything that any rapper is Repeat putting out. That that's great. Last Monday night, I saw a fight between Wednesday and Thursday over Saturday night. Perfect. That's great. Hoc- right. Hocus pocus, maladjusted. Don't you think my tears get rusted? Uh, my favorite one is Oodles of Light. What a beautiful sight. Both of God's eyes are shining tonight. I just love the fucking word oodles. Yeah, it's cute. Oodles. He has this. He ha- he goes back and forth between very dark, uh, and, and uh, like heavy despair, and then like like fun, goofy. Yeah, and that's maybe what I like about him yeah, because completely. that 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 as a comic, I kind of appreciate. That. Oh, oh, hundred. Yeah, he goes it's funny. Despair, it's goofy, genuinely sad. Yeah, you get the idea that he's almost like a silly guy, you know, even yeah. though he's. Taking the pain of the world and making it into music, <laughs> that there's a silliness and a levity to him too. For sure. And then you go into the next song, Donald and Lydia. Donald and Lydia. Uh, so uh, I think this song is genius, and also yeah. as as you said, fucking hilarious. Play two fifty six, Peter. The made love in the mountains. The made love in the streams. The made love in the valleys. The made love in their dreams. So Donald and Lydia to me is a great song because there's something I like about these two contrasting images that are the same person, right? Like you have this fat cashier and this skinny guy alone in the barracks. They're as different as they can be in terms of the way they present to the world, but they are as lonely and as fearful as as, as each other. I mean, they're just the perfect... There, it's a mirror image, even though one's a fat chick, one's like a, a, a guy, skinny guy, beady little eyes, the way I picture him. It's, it's the same. And then you're like, oh, well, that loneliness, that, that gnawing sense that we'll never be enough and that nobody loves us and all that shit really is just common and doesn't really matter how you present or what package it's in. Yeah. You know, and if you don't feel that, you're a complete sociopath and you've probably done very well. Yeah. I just love that this is a song about people, uh, like, basically phone sex in a way, like, masturbating, you know, to each other's thought, you know, to to the image of each other. It's hilarious the way that he lays it all out. Yeah. Um, And also, he picked the names Donald and Lydia out of a baby naming book, which I think is even better. Uh, Six o'clock news. Uh, This is a dark one. Uh, according to John, as a child, a neighborhood kid who was always in trouble chose me for a friend. His brothers pushed him around a lot, and his mother generally ignored him. Years later, as a teenager, still always in trouble, he ended up in juvenile court, and the prosecutor decided to tell the court and my friend that his father was his father, but his mother was his oldest sister. No wonder he was always in trouble. Interesting. I thought this was about a gay kid who was a closeted gay kid. Really? Because he said, stranger in the closet, you read the diary, yeah. uh, all there was was all there was to see. The whole town saw Jimmy in a six o'clock news, uh, blood was on the sidewalk, brains were on his shoes. I thought it was just a closet gay kid. I, 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 that's how it comes off to a lot of people. I mean, this is, this is from John's lips. No, I know. I, I, 100%. Uh, but, it's like the, it's just, in, but that's what's so uh, what cool about the, it. Like, it's so yeah. cool that you could get. I wonder maybe, why he used. But do, you, yeah. do you think you got that because that's what you were dealing with? Well, and no, that's he what uses you the word a stranger in the closet. So was that not, was that not, because that's a lyric in the song, A Stranger in the Closet. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know the lyrics as well as you do. I mean, yeah, so I, can, I don't I know, see... maybe that didn't mean that at that point. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, 
actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. I mean, it could it could represent knowing anything. the way he w- works is with words. It could mean anything. Yeah, but I love that. That's what yeah. you got from it because that's what you were dealing with. Yeah, I mean, that's what I got from it. I mean, the stranger in the closet, uh, and then he goes. He read the diary. All all there was was all there was to see. So I'd imagine that that was the kid. You know, finding out that the kid liked dudes or whatever. I don't know, but that's Ooh. what I took it to mean. All right, the album ends with flashback blues. Uh, this is probably my favorite song on the record i think it's just because it's so catchy peter play 132 i fucking love that song dude it's a real barn burner yes it's but it's also it's it's dude it's like he's just done all of this like heavy depressing and fun music but this is just so upbeat and it's just it just in my opinion i I love when a record especially that's so emotionally deep has a nice positive ending you know what i mean yeah it's a great way to leave the record i like the song a lot it's a great driving song being on the road you know rolling the windows down sun's out things aren't that horrible yeah not everybody's killing themselves not everyone's (laughs) old so this is uh another wistful remembrance song either about a relationship or just the singer's relationship to his own memories regrets triumphs and dwindling mortality right uh, I love that chorus. Spent yeah. most of my youth out hobo cruising, and all I got for proof is rocks in my pocket and dirt in my shoes. Yeah. Fuck, I love that. It's great. Uh, do you live with mistakes? Yes. Do you have any regrets? All of them. <laughs> How have you moved on? I think getting doing something I enjoy doing and something that I find challenging and exciting as a career has helped. Yeah. I, I think that's really what it is. I like to work a lot. I'm one of those people that likes to work a lot. Uh, there are some people that don't like to work a lot or, you know, I think that to me has been, uh, you know, a realization that that's okay to want to work uh, and, and create stuff and like be a creative person and think and try to figure out how to not only make shit, but get it out to as many people as possible. And like, you don't have time uh, to dwell you know, on things that get in the way of that. I think your our creative energy is, you know, the purest and most volatile energy that we have, which is why it can get directed to all these very bad places. But when we direct it to the right place, I think it really just animates us in a way that nothing else does. All right, you want to do a couple facts and we'll get sure. you out of yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Spent most of my facts with facts, facts, facts. All right. The cover of the album, which had John sitting on a bale of hay, was a photographer's idea to countryfy his image. John had never sat on a bale of hay in his whole life and expected something more natural to him, like sitting on a Chicago bus. Hmm. Well, actually, you hear this and you're immediately, you see that album cover, you're like, oh, that all makes sense. So, I get it. In what ways have you been completely misunderstood? Um, I think people tend to simplify certain things and they'll describe me as like a right-wing guy or a conservative guy because I don't go along with uh, what I 
you know, I've kind of termed this performative liberalism that you see in the entertainment business where people are, are very disingenuous and they make insane statements uh, in order to help their careers that are based on no knowledge and no thought. So I don't do that. And because I don't do that, it's easier to be like, oh, that guy will say, oh, that guy's right winger, that guy's conservative with it. I, I've never said a positive word about Donald Trump, ever. That being said, uh, because I am not on Twitter all the time uh, talking about, you know, thank God Chelsea Handler made a documentary about racism from the back of her Bel Air mansion. I mean, finally, <laughs> finally, you know, the, the, the order, the thing that we'd all ordered finally got to the table. Yeah. Chelsea Handler's take. Um, because I don't, you know, so but yeah, I misunderstood in that way. In the sense that, uh, or I'm, I'm a, it's too doom and gloom, or you're blackpilling, or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, the, I, the, I'm just saying how it feels and seems to me. And if it feels and seems differently to you, that's great, and that's cool, and I respect that. I just say this is the way it is for me. I look at a certain set of whatever data, statistics, whatever we all look at. I process it in this way. So I think, but it's, it, it's, if you're not a buffoon, I mean, we are living in the time of buffoons. Yeah. So if you're not a buffoon, which I kind of try not, like I am a buffoon, but I try not to be. We're all buffoons. We're but. all buffoons, but it's like I own it in a different way where I go, but but now I think, you know, we really want a simple way to put somebody in a box. And it's like, because it's harder to do that with me, people just put me in any box they see fit. Sure. You know? All right. Yeah. Among many artists, Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan have both cited their appreciation for Prime. Dylan said, Prine stuff is pure Proustian existentialism, Midwestern mind trips to the nth degree, and he writes beautiful songs. Ironically, John was inspired to pursue his career by Girl from the North Country, a duet Dylan recorded with Cash for his 1969 crossover, country crossover album, Nashville Skyline. All right, it's a two-part question. What heroes of yours have given you the best positive affirmations? What heroes of mine have given me the best positive affirmations? Yeah. Donald Trump, who said, make America great again. <laughs> because... <laughs> Somebody will cut that. They're going to clip that. That'll be nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, heroes of mine that have given me the great positive affirmation. Uh, there's a real estate agent in New York that I like, Dolly Lenz. And uh, she sold a shit ton of real estate after... She nobody would hire her, and she worked really hard, and she does all the things that I respect. Like she does, barely speaks to her family and stuff, and I, I respect all that. Uh, what was her advice? Like, um, she said, "You can't covet something if you're doing it. You can't get angry about something if you're actually doing it. If you're on the outside of it, coveting it, you can covet and get mad at it and get angry about what's going on in it. But if you're actually doing it, you just do it." And it wasn't direct, obviously it wasn't direct advice to me, but I think that advice in comedy is amazing. There's a lot of people that think they're comedians that are on the outside and they're looking in and it's painfully obvious to who they are, to real comedians like us. They don't know they're on the outside because they get up and, you know, pretend to do comedy every now and then. Um, to me, it was always about literally doing it, um, putting out stuff, uh, putting out as much stuff and as much funny shit as I could. And when somebody who was very successful in real estate, which I had never been, said that, because uh, they, they said to her, they're like, you sell homes to billionaires. Like, you know, you sell homes to people that have so much more money than you, even though you have a shitload of money. She has a lot of money. Tens of millions, millions. Um, 
they go, do you ever get jealous? You get angry? You get this and that? You ever, you know? And she goes, no, because I'm I'm doing it. I'm not on the outside looking in. I have this unique perspective because I'm inside of this thing. I'm in this machine and I'm doing it, and I'm I'm not outside coveting it or saying I want to do it or I want to be a part of it. I'm actually doing it. So she goes, I, I'm not really. You know, I don't have a ton of time to look at the people around me in my orbit that have more than me or are better positioned than I am. I just try to work as hard as I can and do. And they also said to her, isn't it boring? Isn't real estate boring? And she goes, I can do it all. And I can, and this is, again, this is, but she goes, I can do the contracts. I can do the marketing. I can do the showing. I can give the architect's advice, you know. So I think with, with comedy, it's like you do as much of it as you can. You know, and 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 try to remember that your your goal is to do it and to stay in it and to not slip outside into that place where other people are and that that place is is bitterness, it's resentment, it's anger, yeah. and all of that kills creativity. And if you're being creative, you don't have time for any of that. I completely agree with that. All right, the final question from yeah. this: What is the worst thing someone that you respect has said about you? Um, great question. Norm Macdonald, when I first did uh, stand-up, uh, I did a, what did I do? I did that dumb, uh, last comic standing. He's now a fan of what I do, and he thinks I'm funny, and he said on Twitter, but he said to me, he's like, hey, he's like, how long, how long have you been doing stand-up? And I'm like, about four years. He's like, what are you doing here? He's like, it takes 10 years to be a comedian. So it was just like, ah, so it was crushed by Norm, who's great. Yeah. And I did a great set right before he told me that. So he was basically like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? Now fast forward, who's who ends up being right? Norm McDonald. He, he's right. I shouldn't yeah. have been in LA when I was. I should be here now. He's right. He was right. That was hard to hear. But he was right. He yeah. wasn't wrong. He was harsh about it. Other people might have quit. Other people might have been like, fuck this. Here's a guy there. Cause that's what these TV shows do. They give money to legends to tell you to stop doing what you love. <laughs> You know, yeah. Other, but I remember sitting home on the plane and not being able to eat because I couldn't keep my food down because this guy that I'd respected, and I was like, maybe I'm a fraud, maybe I suck, maybe he sees something in me that I don't see in me, and, and he did. And he was right. It was just being green. So I went back to New York and I worked my fucking ass off and I got better and funnier and sharper. And now he tweets like you know really great things about me and it's like fuck, thank fuck you. yeah, man. So it's like, but that that was one of those times when I was like fuck. But he was right. When I look back, I'm like, he's absolutely right. I had not done anything that mattered yet. I hadn't paid any fucking due. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I had to get to that point. So I would say it was that. And I, I, that was perfect. That yeah. Because not only was it the worst thing somebody could have said at that moment, but it was uh, just some of the best. And my mother there said to me once, you're too fat to be on TV consistently, but I don't respect her. So that didn't, <laughs> that didn't hit as hard. All right. Well, what are your, <laughs> what are your final thoughts on this record? My final thoughts on this record is always are you got to respect those people that never got famous but took a fucking guitar and went around this country trying to tell the story of America and they didn't meet fame and fortune in the end. Uh, and it was, you know, so those people I've always respected because those to me, if you look in the music world and who are the closest to comedians, it's those people. Those people that are playing the shitholes, that are out there fucking, you know, 
singing for their separate, those are the people that I respect 100%. I mean, it's it's John Prine is as real as NWA story, as, 100%. Real, as, as real as Sex Pistols or any yes. punk band. It's, or, and, I, and I always said it, it's the... You know that that old, you know, singer songwriter country. If you want to say some some in country, some just singer songwriter. It is it is the you said it perfectly. The story of America. The, the man. genuine article, dude. And he's the, the only two people that are, are in his orbit when it comes to that type of stuff. You know, it's like Johnny Cash. Three people is like Dylan, Johnny Cash, and Doja Cat. <laughs> Those are the three people that I compare him to because I love the cat. I love you. I this was. I so, love you. This was. So thank fantastic. you for having thank me, you, Josh. Thank you for doing it. You're. I've, I've, I appreciate I, it. I made it from the bottom of my heart. You, it is one of my favorite episodes to record. Thank you so much. You're the best, buddy. Thank you. What I tell you, everybody? What did I tell you? Kadoogle doogle, baby, kush bluegle. For all things Tim Dillon, go to timdillancomedy.com. Don't forget to check out his podcast, The Tim Dillon Show, and it's at Tim J. Dillon on all social media. I'll be posting Tim's Spotify mixtape on our website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com and follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or any place that you get your pods. And if you're listening on Apple Music, rate, review, leave a review, 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 review. Now, we just listened to John Prine from his 1971 self-titled debut. For new music this week, our music director, Mr. Matty Pinfield, selected Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real. They're an American roots rock, New folk band featuring Lucas, who is Willie Nelson's son. Hmm. Since 2015, they've been the backing band for Neil Young. They have opened up for everyone from John Prine to the Abbott Brothers. Bad Case is their latest single. Check it out on Spotify. And you can check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. If you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists, and you want your music featured on the 500, Send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, it's Amy Winehouse week with her 2005 album, Back to Black. I love this record. Do your homework. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history 
conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMV, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Next Chapter Podcasts.